Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On the match day edition of the Gagan Pod, two teams are through to the final eight of the Champions League, but neither Borussia Dortmund nor Porto did it the easy way. Incredible drama in both matches. We'll also talk about what's next for Juventus, Ronaldo and Andrea Pirlo as well. We'll also doff our cap once again to the record-breaking competitive beast that is Erling Braut Haaland and look ahead to the next matches as well in the knockout stage. Yes, hello once again. Great to have your company on the Match Day edition of the pod. I'm Richard Bayliss, and alongside myself and sports editor Dave Weiner, two legends of the game, Thomas Sorensen and John Aloisi. Now, we're out and about today, Optus HQ. You might hear some background noise. Uh, people can't sit still or can't sit down after the Champions League action this morning, and that includes us. We've pretty much had to come outside and try to get some air after an incredible day. Uh, John, because I know you, like all of us, uh, your head was spinning. Yeah, it was. It w- what an incredible morning. The the action in both games, not only the Juventus-Porto game, which was a massive, probably you'd say upset if, before you're looking at that tie, and then uh, the Dortmund-Sevilla game. It had so much in it, and uh, and don't we just love watching Haaland and, and watching him score goals for fun? It's also, Thomas, I guess, when we look at the two games, and we'll, we'll talk about them in depth, but a good lesson is to the knockout tie. It's never really dead. I mean, we learned that a few years ago with PSG and Barcelona, Liverpool and Barcelona as well. We thought that Bayern Munich, for example, and Man City are probably through, but Borussia Dortmund were in a great position in the game and tie, and it completely went the other way. It's brilliant. Yeah, both games right to the wire. You know, we thought at one point after the the 2-2 the, the that, uh, you know, Porto were home and dry, and, and then, uh, you know, Rabiot gets up in the end uh, and scores straight away, and, and that tie was, and then uh, Sevilla uh, coming back with two two late goals uh, and suddenly making that interesting. So, you know, th- it had everything. Bar incidents, you know, we'll probably talk about, you know, the, the penalty that, you know, uh, that, that eventually occurred and and and, and Haaland, uh, you know, again, his heroics. So, so many individual performances, mistakes uh, and, and uh, drama. You want to talk about the penalty because you're still <laughs> upset about the keeper being punished for making an incredible save and just having, was it centimetres off his line? Yeah, no, those, uh, we've got two keepers here at the table and we're very, <laughs> very upset, both me and Dave. And uh, yeah, th- the rule, I don't quite understand it. You know, I get that we uh, don't want keepers uh, to, to get a yard off their line and, and uh, close the angle down. But, uh, you know, to be a centimeter off, you know, you've got to create momentum uh, as a keeper. And the advantage is already with yourself, the strikers. <laughs> I don't think See so. what you did, John? You've wound him up and we're not going to be able to talk about anything else. And just to paint the picture for those listening at home, we do have two goalkeepers on the show, Thomas Sorensen and Dave Weiner. So John and I are relatively short. These two guys towering over us. It's quite the scene outside here at Optus HQ. I say as I look up to the three of you, just watching from, from, my, from my distance. Here. Exactly. Let's talk about Juventus and Porto first of all, because Porto are through to the quarterfinal stage. They had the 
advantage after the first leg, so maybe that's not the shock of the headline that you maybe would expect. But I guess, Dave, the way it unfolded, Juve over both legs were just chasing this one because at the end of the day, they just weren't good enough. So first of all, unbelievable drama. That's what these Champions League mornings over the last three years have delivered for us. But you don't expect... Juventus at the quality and what they aspire to be to be lured into this kind of occasion where as you say from the off in the first leg they were chasing they've got a pretty poor record even in Syria with giving up early leads so far this season and then from there all the I guess the cracks that people have been looking at them this season their ability to pass with quick tempo their ability to create chances uh, their reliance on one Cadrado as well um, all came to the fore and despite Cristiano Ronaldo that project they were not good enough and that makes it three years in a row three different managers bundled out before uh, you know, by Ajax and then the last two years, Leon and Porto in the round of 16. Yeah, so they've got Ronaldo to win the Champions League. They finished quarterfinals the first year, then the last two years, round of 16. The way it unfolded today, 2-1 down heading into it. They went behind thanks to a penalty. Sergio Oliveira stepped up. They're 1-0 down, Juve. From there, they got ahead and it was heading to extra time. Porto had a man sent off and you're thinking, this is when a side like Juve, John, have to get through. The, the quality of players they have, the weight of possession, they had plenty of opportunities, plus the expectation, yet they couldn't get it done. Yeah, look, they were very poor in the first leg uh, for 75 minutes until Morata came on and made a difference. This morning, they were poor in the first half, and then in the second half, they started, and uh, they were already a goal down, obviously, and uh, and I thought Chiesa and Cuadrado made a big difference uh, in, in, for Juventus. Uh, Chiesa on the left side, he was making runs in behind, great first-time uh, finish for the, the first goal. Um, and then, you know, you, you thought with the player being sent off for Porto, that was going to be Juventus. They were going to run all over uh, Porto. But let's give credit to Porto. Let's not just, uh, you know, say that Juventus were poor. Porto defended really well, especially with 10 men. They, they made it hard for Juventus. And, uh, you know, they deserve to go through. And uh, that pains me to say because, you know, I wanted to see Juventus go through. But uh, Porto, in the end, uh, they, they were more solid over the two legs. Why do you want Juventus to go through, John? Not many people know, but I am a Juventus supporter. Uh, oh, that's how kid. professional you are <laughs> as a pundit. We didn't know. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, but look, the big storyline is going to be about Pirlo, uh, you know, whether they keep him on, whether they trust him to lead the club forward and lead that team forward. But for me, the biggest storyline was Ronaldo over the two legs. I thought he was poor in both legs. I, I, I thought that he just, he, he lacked that. Normally, you know that Ronaldo is going to stand up on the big occasion and he's going to get the one, he's going to score the winner. But not only did he look unlikely that he was going to score a goal, his defensive work on the the f- mm. set piece, the, the, the free kick that he, he turned his back, opened his legs. I would be going crazy if I was the manager because that, that cost them the game. Well, yeah, let's talk about what happened in extra time. It's obviously 2-1 in favour of Juve. That's a scoreline that's heading to penalties. Then there was the free kick, which Johnny talks about, Thomas. Basically, Oliveira hits it from a long way out. Ronaldo turns his back, opens his legs. Chesney has a bit of a fumble. You're pretty confident, though, it wasn't a goalkeeping error. You think all the fault lays with Ronaldo on the wall? Yeah, I, th- I think it, it comes down to, we talked about on, on the show this morning, is, is discipline. Uh, you know, from Ronaldo, uh, a player that, you know, is is known for his focus on details and, and everything, uh, you know, is meticulously planned out. And, and then to, to come up with that sort of reaction, just turning your back loosely, uh, spreading your legs. It looks like he was disinterested uh, and it goes through his legs. 
you know, on a good day, I think Chesney saves it. But but I can't really blame him because the, the wall was all over the place. It looked like that they didn't have a clue what was going on because one jumped, Ronaldo turned his back. I think uh, Rabio as well jumped. So the wall could have split. The, the wall split low, high in the middle. It, it, it Thomas, was all this over is one for you. That uh, normally, a, as a coach, when you're actually preparing your team, you, you prepare set pieces, you prepare uh, free kicks from different distances. Uh, would it do you think would have been discussed beforehand that all right, if it's from this distance, we only need three men in the wall. We don't need to jump because I've got enough time to actually see the ball if it does go over the wall. Um, surely that would have been discussed. And if it was, then what are the players doing that are in the wall? Yeah, and, and that's the, the thing. Sometimes late, and we're late in the game here, we're in the extra time, sometimes these things can go a bit out the window. People are tired, lose concentration, uh, and that's where the discipline comes in. You know, like that's where the things you've talked about beforehand, you need leaders on the pitch. And you should, Ronaldo is in the wall. Like he, he is a leader of Juventus. Uh, so he should be on everyone's case on what the plan was before the game. Chesney should be in their ear. You know, what are we having three? Are we having four? Who's in the wall? What job do we have to do? Uh, and on that occasion, everything just went to pieces and uh, that cost them the game. So despite Adrian Rabio popping up for another late goal, which basically meant that Juve were chasing that last one, they had a couple of opportunities, but you know it sort of was them chasing the game the whole time. It had to end with them being knocked out, Dave. What happens now? Because they're not going to win Serie A. Jonah Luisi fearlessly predicted on the couch, the coverage this morning, that Inter Milan will win Serie A. Although I did point out that Michael Bridges has made many a bad prediction <laughs> in that same seat, so I'd be careful what you say. So if they're not going to win in Serie A, they're clearly not going to win the Champions yep. League. Does Pirlo just by default get given time? Does Ronaldo project, like you're saying, just just get given that extra year? Like, what happens from here? I think this is really interesting because it strikes to what Juventus want to be as a club, but they had won nine in a row and seemingly wanted to evolve, become a more attractive global property, um, play with, you know, obviously Ronaldo was going to help them with that, but bring in some young players, play with a style that they thought, you know, that Allegri wasn't going to bring them. Then they thought Sari might bring it for them. It didn't quite work out, so they've thrown Perlo into the deep end. This is fascinating. Do you stick and, stick and hold and trust Perlo like Chelsea didn't, but like United did? I don't know what you would want to do. And as a fan, I'm going to ask you what you would like them to do as well to Perlo, John. But then there's also the broader question of, I think they're a club at a bit of an identity crossroads. And these three eliminations, I think when he manifests that, throw on top of that, surrendering Syria, which is basically unfathomable. Look, I... I would like to see them stick with Pirlo a little bit longer. I, I still think they need to actually change some players in that side. I think Chiesa's inclusion this season yeah. has shown that's what you can do with young, fresh players that have really got a bit of experience in Serie A. Um, and you saw that in the two legs, he was probably their best player. Um, and uh, Because who are you going to get? The only thing that they can do if they go get a, a, maybe a Luis Enrique after the Euro or they wait till Guardiola finishes his contract at Man City because Juventus is a hard club to manage. You actually have to have that experience of either managing a big club or that you've played at the club, and then that's what Pirlo has. Yogi Love will be back on the uh, market after no. the Euros. No, <laughs> <laughs> not having him. Why, why not? Because of his off-field tactics, or no? I, I, look, I don't think. Look, coaching and managing a national team is completely different to coaching at club level. I don't think he 
he's been successful at club level. You know, the difference with him and Luis Enrique, Luis Enrique obviously won everything at Barcelona. Now he's co- coaching national team. I think if he stepped back into club level, he'd be able to do it, you know, easy. Yeah. Uh, Joaquin Lowe, I doubt, I, I've got a lot of questions over whether he would be able to coach a club like Juventus. Well, he'll be on the merry-go-round, I guess. But um, if you're going to continue to pick your nose on the sideline, <laughs> you won't get the biggest jobs. I've always said that, Dave. Or wear skivvies. I've got, yes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he'd get a job in Italy just due to his fashion sense. But I, I just want to follow on the Chiesa point as well and, and the identity because he was brilliant today. He's been brilliant in recent weeks and he's been a fantastic addition. He will eventually sign, you would think, for the 60 million euro that his loan triggers into. But do you think Juve, th- they do have some good young players, Kulachevsky, um, Bentacool, even Delit, who they sign. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's only in his early 20s. Is that now what they have to do next season to actually reshape that identity? Or, or a, th- that's a pretty big call because they've got some pretty senior pros in the side as well. Yeah, you've you got, a, I think, a, um, a good bunch of young players that you can build the team around. Uh, you obviously have Benucci, Kalini, you've got Buffon, you know, older players that eventually Ronaldo uh, that you have to find replacements for but uh, you know I think Juventus will always be able to attract the best Italian talent Um, you know Ronaldo when he finishes uh, he's got another year but you know that's a big big uh, you know amount of money off the books then and and you you will be able to you know to do quite a bit with that I think uh, from Juventus point of view so so I think you know the, the building blocks are there but you know they, they they still have a they still have a fair few uh, steps I think to to reach the the top level uh, in European football. This is a rough question, but just has Ronaldo distracted them or hampered them in this holy grail pursuit of of the Champions League? Oh, look, it, it's easy to say in Champions League they failed miserably under when Ronaldo's been there because uh, Rich touched on it earlier. Quarterfinals, round of sixteen, round of sixteen um, is is not good enough for, for a club like Juventus and Ronaldo. But in the league, he's been their shining light. He's the one that scores all their goals. So, uh, look, after the two legs, Ronaldo was poor. And so the fingers will get pointed at him because he's their big star. So, you know, it would look like the Juventus have made a mistake in signing him. And Ronaldo's two legs were poor when he opened them on the free kick as well. <laughs> By the way, we should probably pay some credit to Porto because I don't know if you guys yeah, noticed, well. they did actually go through. So, Porto fans, I'm sorry, you've probably already switched and, off, to be and honest. Constancao, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're, yeah. look, they haven't had the best season in Portugal. They're, they're 10 points behind Sporting. They've been very good of late. Um, but Constancao shows that passion, doesn't he? It looks like he wants to, like, sort of jump on the field and play at the same time. And the celebrations, he was in the middle of it. They were piling uh, in on him. Simone-esque, yeah. I think, in, in the way he sort of rules the sideline a little bit. They won't have Mehdi Taremi. He was sent off in this one, and he is a key player for them. He was level top goal scorer before Oliveira got two. Talking about celebrations, can you imagine him in the change room by himself when uh, they were down to 10 men and it was 2-1? He would have been so scared, and then all of a sudden he hears... Concert probably screaming and celebrating, and he would have been over the moon. The old one-man celebrations. You don't want to get caught doing that in the dressing room too many times, I wouldn't have thought. But Porto go through to the final eight. Not too many teams will like to draw them just because of how hard they fight and how much Concert clearly motivates them. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The other team that's through, of course, Borussia Dortmund. 5-4 on aggregate over Sevilla. A 2-2 draw in the second leg at home. Erling Braut Haaland, Thomas. Another two goals, 20 goals in the Champions League from just 14 starts. The previous record was Harry Kane. He got there after 24 starts. What a player. Yeah, the statistics, uh, you know, they're incredible. Uh, you know, the records fall by the day, I think, with, uh, with him. And, and he's so young, and, and hopefully we can be blessed with him for, for a long time. But again, today, you know, probably, you know, not his greatest game, but he pops up a couple of times, I think. With his first touch or his first chance, you know, he makes a great run into the box and Royce, you know, crosses it or lays it back to him and, and he finishes. And then all the drama with, with uh, you know, the, the, the goal that he should have been disallowed and, and, and then the penalty and, and all those things uh, and, and his spat with the keeper. You know, but you can see the passion. You've got to love the energy and, and his celebrations. And you can just see the hunger for every single goal, for every single yard on the pitch. And, and you know, that, that is probably the thing that I admire the most. I'm going to try to break down that bit of controversy because it lasted for best part of 10 minutes. It was outrageous. So Holland looked like he'd scored a second. The defender, Costa, sort of got... I guess bundled over. Bundled over. Yeah. It looked like he was just out-muscled by someone Look, twice his size. When I first watched it, Rich, and I'm sorry to interrupt because I know you're going to talk us through the 10 minutes of, of what happened. Well, I'll try. Four 10 minutes, please. <laughs> but well, it, first of all, I thought that the defender got in front of Haaland and, and, and it was a free kick and, and it should the goal should have been scrapped. But again, looking at it again, he's actually... He's tried to bully Harlan, and Harlan's just bullied him. Yeah. So and he just blew him over. Yeah, it's just so you just see how strong and powerful he is, and and what a finish with his right foot. It was incredible. He only had a little bit of an angle to put it in, and he put it in the only place that he could have. Well, that's the frustration. It was such an amazing goal. He bounced Carlos off him, and you know showed amazing touch presence. The referee goes, no, no goal because you're bigger than him. You can't do that. However, when he's looking at the VAR screen, VAR's got in his ear and said, hang on, don't worry about the goal. Go back two minutes before the goal because there was a foul in the box. So they've given a penalty for something that happened long before the goal they were looking at. Penalty given, penalty saved, <laughs> then penalty retaken. Thomas, uh, as a goalkeeper, you must be scratching your head wondering what have you got to do. I think the severe player scratching their heads because they think, oh, we're getting, we're getting help without here for the referee. He's, he's having a look at, at the goal and it's going to be disallowed and, and we'll be off the hook. And then suddenly... You know, they get a penalty, yellow card, and yeah. But you know, the the whole penalty situation. Obviously, the keeper makes a a good read. He he goes to his left. He's his right foot, as his left foot is obviously part of the step into to the save. But the right foot is just marginally off the line. And and you know, the rules nowadays, if they are, you know, my problem is they're not always upheld. But but the rules are that if you are in front of the line, it's disallowed. That's the thing, Thomas. Uh, look, uh, and I know that you're going to stick up. That's my issue. Yeah, yeah, I know you're going to stick up for goalkeepers, which is uh, normal. Um, but I, I see it as as the offside rule. If it if we're going to use VAR, it has to be black and white. This is where we have so many issues with a handball. It's it black and white, foot off the line. 
doesn't matter if it's centimetres or if it's a metre, it's still off the line. So you have to say that the referee and the VAR got it right. Um, I don't totally agree with them going back all that way for the penalty. But again, within the rules, it's right. But it just slows down the game a lot. You know, 10 minutes we're talking about, they were sitting there going, what's happening? You know, is it a goal, no goal? Uh, are they going to go 2-0 up or, or is it going to still be 1-0? That's the frustrating bit. And I think that's the problem because you can have nerds sitting in a room somewhere basically saying, well, look, by the rule book, everything we're doing is correct. VAR is about getting the correct decision. But it doesn't feel right to the football fan. It's about emotion. It's about the moment. It's about enjoying that or feeling heartbroken when something goes against you, not this clinical interpretation of a black and white rule book. Let's not go down the path of that particular rant because I feel like I'm already a fair way down it. Let's talk about, Dave, the fact that when Harlan scored the second one, he got in Banu the keeper's face. This was awesome. This is, you know, what Thomas was saying before about Harlan being a competitor. He's copped a little bit of stick. Banu said something to him when he made the first save. So then when Harlan scored past him, he made sure he knew about it. It was awesome drama. Do you know what? I actually enjoyed to see that side of him because he is so ruthless and so clinical. You almost want to go, is this guy actually human? And it's good because the keeper did wrangle him a little bit and he showed a bit of emotion there. But not only that, he just keeps his composure. So he has a penalty saved, rare occurrence, and he's able to go back and and do that again. The numbers are dizzying. Like, he'll end up with four billion goals if he keeps going at this rate. (laughs) And the thing is... Four billion, Dave. That's a lot. Pele's got three billion. (laughs) Well, it's actually about 3.9 billion ahead of second in line, so that's how how much better he is than everyone else. I saw a funny thing this morning that said, uh, Murata's got 255 goals this season, 235 have been disallowed. It's a similar kind of bit of maths there. But um, yeah, fantastic to see that kind of theatre in the game. But on that uh, about the frustration. Severe players were frustrated. They were confused. They were angry. And I know technically it was correct, but it was really hard for them to cope with. And I think it's hard for players and fans to cope with. And you end up with six minutes at a time. That shows you that what it takes out of the game. Yeah, but if you go back and listen to Harlan's interview after the game, huh. the goalkeeper cheated. And when he didn't cheat, I scored. But little <laughs> did he see the actual replay and see that the goalkeeper did exactly the same. His foot was still off yeah. the line, but it was it was a funny interview because he just what, says what, it the what, way it is. And he nearly saved it as well. He got a hands up. What if he had saved the second one? And then, oh, that would have been... Uh, and the best thing was those two players actually spoke at full time. And John, you said, oh, that's nice. They're kind of getting on. And then another five, ten minutes later, Harlan's yeah. calling him a cheat in the interview. <laughs> so he wasn't calmed down. He's so competitive. It's brilliant and continues to score goals. After all that, by the way, Sevilla went and scored twice. They were one goal away from going through, potentially. So it, it wasn't over at that point and Dortmund it looks like they'll, they'll entertain in the final eight regardless. I think the disappointing bit for Sevilla was they didn't perform like that in the first league because I thought Sevilla were very good from the start. First they half actually, hour. Yeah they yeah. pressed them they didn't allow Dortmund out um, they, they got caught again in the build up and that's where they, they copped their first goal but they were creating chances they always looked like they were in the game and as soon as they scored the penalty uh, that gave him a little bit of a lifeline and then a great header from the Nasri for the second goal, you thought, oh, there's only a minute left, but they're going to get that one opportunity to actually score the winner. They did, but no one wanted to shoot. Panic stations. Did you know what as well? They would have had nightmares, Dortmund, uh, Dortmund, because we know they blew a lead late on the weekend as well against Bayern Munich. So uh, it was it was genuine hard mouth stuff at the end. Yep, and it might be their only path to the Champions League next year, winning it this year as well. Another team in that boat, Liverpool. They play on Thursday morning at home 
I'm sort of doing the air quotations home because the game is in Budapest. Like the first leg, they've got a 2-0 advantage over Leipzig. On paper, everything looks good for them. The fact that Leipzig will have a crack at them as well, Thomas, so the game will be opened up maybe. Surely, even putting you know Liverpool's form into the mix, it could not be better set up for them, surely. Not actually playing at home, but it's still a home game. Yeah, I, I think it's probably a, a good bit of a relief for, for everything that, that's going on at home and, and what's going on in the Premier League. Um, the pressure will be on there 2-0 up, obviously, from the first leg. And uh, Leipzig, like we know with Nagelsmann, they're, they're going to come at them. And, and uh, if, if, if they're lucky enough and, and good enough to get the first goal, I think we could see a, a shaky Liverpool side. But I think it plays more into their hands like, uh, than, a football, uh, than a Fulham game at home where... You know they have to break them down here. You know there'll be plenty of space for Salah and Mane and 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 uh, Yota, whoever plays up uh, up front. Uh, you know on that counter attack, um, and they showed in the first leg that they can outplay them. The, the only thing with Leipzig, I will say, I, I thought they played into Liverpool's hands in the first leg, but um, Nagelsmann he he can switch things up. He's he's not you know he hasn't got only Plan A. He's got Plan A, B, C. Well, he's used more formations, formations in this competition than any other manager. Yeah, so I could see him throwing in something here. I could see him actually sitting off, even though they're 2-0 down over the tie, and actually uh, making it half a Liverpool and trying to catch them on the counter-attack. They did it well against Tottenham last season um, in the Champions League. I actually think that he's, he's capable of doing something that will surprise Liverpool, whereas Liverpool have only got Plan A. Yeah. And their plan B is changing players, but still playing the same system. They can't play anything different. That's, that's what they know, and that's all they're going to play. And they're really stressed. I think Liverpool are stressed right now. And even Vinaldum in the pre-match press conference said the Champions League is a stage to rescue their season. And it's not... You don't normally hear that language from the players themselves. As are the stakes tomorrow... Oh, tough. Massive, massive. Should be really entertaining this one as well. The first leg was plenty of space uh, for both teams in the other game. I mean, Barcelona, are they any chance? I mean, history will tell you that you can do pretty much anything in the second leg, particularly when PSG and Barca meet. But PSG with a big advantage, 4-1 here, Thomas. Surely they just get the job done at home, even without Neymar. Yeah, I think the difference from a couple of years ago is it's not in Barcelona. They haven't got a new camp behind them. And, uh, you know, you look at, even though Barcelona are doing a lot better than they were, you know, a a couple of weeks ago, I think, uh, you know, PSG's got too much, uh, and Mbappe is, is showed the, the difference in, in the first leg, uh, and, and tactically, uh, Pochettino will, will have them set up, and, and they, they won't give Barcelona an inch, and they'll be all over Messi, because that's where it's going to come from. He, he's going to be the difference maker. He has to be unbelievable on the night, like he's been in the past, so we're not going to rule him out, but I, I think PSG has too much, and, and will score. Yeah, PSG, you think it's all in their favour, of course. They're playing at home, 4-1. They've got Pochettino. Like you said, they've got Mbappe. They haven't got Neymar, which is a big loss for them. Uh, but they didn't have him in the first leg. But how can you write off Barcelona? You know, two weeks ago, we were writing them off and saying that their season's done. Um, you know, they're a shambles as a club. Now they've got Laporta back in, the president, their old president, that he brought them all that success. Uh, first with Guardiola, then with Luis Enrique. Um, and, and then you go... Okay, Messi seems happier. They've got young players coming through. Kuman seems to have won the group over. Can they create another miracle? With Messi, maybe they can. You ask, how can you write Barcelona off? Well, 
by them losing 4-1 in the first leg. <laughs> Probably not ideal, John. <laughs> Interestingly, the fallout, and you touched on it on the post-game show, it might not be as uh, toxic as it could have been, say, if this leg was played a week ago or two weeks ago, before maybe the Sevilla turnaround in the Copa del Rey or Atletico letting the lead surrender a little bit. But I tell you what, I mean, the thing for me out of this leg that's obviously Haaland today, Kylian Mbappe comes into this game, I think, having scored more than a goal a game for the last month. When was the last time we had a Champions League quarterfinals without Messi or Ronaldo in it? Yeah. 16 years ago. 16 years ago. So that's, that's amazing. That's Leeds are in the Premier League then. Yeah, and, and to have that now. <laughs> I still was playing football. <laughs> <laughs> to have that now. Well, you both were. <laughs> and Dave. <laughs> oh, I Dave was, wasn't even born. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the two players, you know, and the thing is, speaking about being born and being young, to have that happen at the same time that Mbappe and Haaland are the stars... You said it two weeks ago, Dave. Mm. You said, is this a changing of the guard? And it might be. And it, you, you know, you're thinking it, it might be. Look, I, I still think Messi's got a bit more to play uh, out in his career. Probably Ronaldo, depending on how he goes physically, but he's a little bit older. But, uh, yeah, changing of the guard, not quite yet. So PSG at home to Barcelona. Liverpool at home, if you like, to Leipzig on Thursday morning, Australian time. The other game happening live and up to sport on Thursday morning from the Premier League. Manchester City can open their gap at the top up to 14 points once again. They're at home to Southampton. Big favourites again, and you think they would be smarting still after losing the derby at home 2-0 at the weekend to Manchester United. That's it from us on the next edition of the Gagan Pod. We'll wrap up those three games and also look ahead to a weekend of Premier League action and the Europa League too, because now that it's been whittled down to only 300 teams left in the Europa League. It should be seriously interesting with some big games involved, including Manchester United at home to AC Milan. John Aloisi and Thomas Sorensen, thanks, guys. Thanks. It's been, it's been great. a pleasure. Great morning. Always nice out in the sunshine. Dave, uh, we'll catch up with you as well soon. Sounds good. And for you guys out there, thanks once again for listening between now and the next edition of the Matchday Gagan Pod. Enjoy your football. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.